0: 2 Hebrews chapter 2 today we began a study in the book of Hebrews last week and um, today we're gonna move into chapter 2 as we continue on in that study we'll work our way through the book over the weeks to come Uh, but in the beginning of chapter 2 right away our first point today we see a command to give heed a command to give heed notice the first word of chapter 2 it says therefore therefore and as we always know when the scripture says therefore it's a great idea to find out what it's there for and so uh, therefore is saying with all the information that has just been given now here's something you need to consider and so chapter 1 uh, we jumped into chapter 1 and we remember that in chapter 1 we got a clear description of who Jesus Christ is and then following that clear description of who Jesus Christ is the rest of chapter 1 dealt with the fact that Jesus Christ is superior to angels Jesus Christ is superior to angels so now we come to chapter 2 and it says because of this information because of what we now know about Jesus Christ and we because of the superiority and the place of standing which we see him in now there is some information that's needed and so that's our first point today the command to give heed notice what it says therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. He's the, the the command is there. Give heed, give heed to what we have learned. What we've just been teaching about the things that we just talked about. The things about Jesus Christ that we talked about last week. His character, who he was, and his superiority. Because of these things, we should give heed lest at any time we should let them slip. The word let them slip carries the idea of drifting away. Drifting away. If you have ever sat in a boat or a kayak, Uh, a boat that doesn't have the engine turned on and is not anchored down or a kayak which doesn't have an engine but just sitting there floating in the water. If you've ever been in one of those uh, things, a boat or a kayak, and and you just sit in the water and you get your attention occupied. Maybe you're fishing, that's what I'd be doing, and so maybe you're fishing and uh, you're just there and and suddenly after a while you look up and you realize wow I am nowhere near where I started fishing. I have, I have drifted way away from the spot I was. And sometimes when that happens, we find ourselves in situations that are, you know, I'm, I'm about to drift into shore where the trees and branches are going to be hitting me in the face or whatever. Or, maybe worse yet, I'm drifting out to sea <laughs> where I don't belong because I have not been paying attention and my boat has drifted. And, and the idea that the writer here of Hebrews is trying to to give to us is that we have to be careful about the things that we have learned heard the things that we have learned lest our life be like that and we find ourselves adrift and we really didn't even ro- realize it was happening see folks many times in the Christian life we find ourselves <laughs> drifting off into some area we shouldn't be in and, and we really didn't realize it was happening until we get, we're way over here, and then we look back and say, wow, what happened? How, how did I get here? I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where, you know, I, I kind of drift away from the Lord, and to get to a certain point, I'm like, how, how did I get here? How did I let this happen? What, what was I thinking? Where, I wasn't paying attention, and Satan just dragged me off of the spot where I should be. And that's what the idea is here that, as we've mentioned, Paul, I believe, writing the book of Hebrews, is talking about. He's talking about taking heed lest we drift away. Departure from the faith often comes slowly over time. Many times we don't just make a determination, you know what? I just just don't believe that stuff anymore. I'm just going to walk away from my faith. (laughs) Some people do do that. But that is not normally how people fall away from the faith. Usually they just slowly drift away. They used to come to church and worship God every week. Now they come three out of four weeks. Then the next thing you know, it's two out of four weeks. The next thing you know, well, we only worship God from our house, we don't go to church anymore. And the next thing you know, they don't think anything about God. It's a a drift. Just slowly fading away from the faith that you once had. And we have to be careful, and that's what what Paul is warning us about here. He's warning us about taking heed of the things that we have learned, the things that we have taught, lest we should let them slip. Guzik, in his commentary, states this He says, To do nothing is quite enough to be driven by the currents of the world, the flesh, and the devil and to drift away. It's a pretty good quote. To do nothing is quite enough. In other words, folks, if I just sit planted in my Christian life and really don't do anything to benefit myself spiritually, I just figure I'm where I need to be, I don't need to grow anymore, I don't need to do anything, I'm here. He says, that's enough (laughs) for the currents of this world for Satan in the flesh to just slowly drift us right out to sea. Griffith Thomas says the protection against drifting is to have Christ as once the anchor and rudder of life so we're going back to the boat example he says listen he says to keep yourself from drifting you need Jesus Christ as the anchor and rudder of your life. Why? Because the anchor will hold us to the truth while the rudder will guide us by the truth. That's a great illustration, folks. When you think about it, Jesus Christ as the anchor and rudder of my life. The anchor and rudder of my life. Notice what he says. He says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? So now, now that he lays out where his argument's going, because we remember from last week that Christ is without a doubt superior to the angels. There is no angel that holds a candle to Jesus Christ. He is superior to the angels. So now Paul makes the argument. He goes back to that line of reasoning and he makes this argument. He says angels have spoken words and people have deemed them important and listen to them. Correct? Yeah, sure. Study your Bible. <laughs> the angels announced the birth of Jesus. What do they say? Go, you know, and and proclaim and all. This. People listen. Why? Because it's an angel telling me to do something and so certainly i would listen to the angel and he and, and so by illustration he's saying this he's saying listen if you are moved to obedience because of what you word you have received from an angel how much more should you be moved to obedience because of the word of jesus christ who is without a doubt as we studied last week superior to the angels so Paul is laying out as Paul always does this is one of the reasons I think Hebrews was written by Paul uh, even though there's debate about as Paul always does he lays out very succinct arguments for what he is trying to get across and so he spent part of chapter 1 laying out the fact that Jesus Christ is superior to the angels now he jumps into chapter 2 and he says listen you would obey the voice of an angel how much more should you obey the voice of Jesus Christ? Great argument, isn't it? Especially when you take into account everything he just laid out in chapter 1. So it makes a lot of sense to us. And so that's what, that's what, what Paul is trying to get across with us. So if we take the law, because this is what Paul's referring to. He's referring to the, to the fact that in the Old Testament law, angels played a part in that. Now you say, I don't, I don't remember that. I don't remember angels playing a part in that. Well, turn over to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, just for a second. Acts chapter 7, and I don't purport to know how all this took place, but Acts chapter 7 in verses 52 and 53. Notice what it says. It says, Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have... N- Been now the betrayers and murderers who have received the law. How? By the disposition of angels and have not kept it. So, in some way, shape, or form, some respect, and I don't know, I don't purport to know the actual respect to how it happened, but angels played a role in disseminating the law so that people understood it. And so now Paul turns and makes the arguments, listen, if you considered it important that angels played a part in the law and you considered obeying the law because of it, how much more should you obey Jesus Christ? Guzik states it this way. He says, a greater word brought by a greater person having greater promises will bring a greater condemnation if neglected so we have the angels and the proclamation and people obeying it and now we have Jesus Christ who is superior and Paul is saying how much more important is it to obey Jesus Christ how much more should you take his word of importance and obey it and listen to it that's what he's trying to show us here and then he goes into verse 3 how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation The word neglect here is the same word that's used to neglect an opportunity that is given to you. It's the exact same word that's used back in Matthew chapter 22. If you turn over to Matthew chapter 22 for just a second, and starting in verse 1, it says Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and he sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come again he sent forth other servants saying tell them which are bidden behold I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready come unto the marriage but they made light of it and went their ways one to his farm another to his merchandise Now it's interesting because in the original Greek language, the word they made light of it is the exact same word for neglect that we find in Hebrews. So they were invited to the marriage of the son of the king. They had opportunity to come to the marriage of the son of the king and they neglected it they didn't come they didn't come yet they had opportunity so Paul is talking about the same thing here he's not talking about rejecting salvation Hebrews was written to Christians he's not talking about rejecting salvation he's talking about neglecting our salvation in other words we're saved We've got our fire insurance, we're going to heaven, we're not going to hell. But we neglect the rest of the opportunities of the Christian life. That's what Paul's talking about here. And I want you to notice the term he uses, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Does it remind you of another verse? How about, for God so loved the world. The depth of God's love. He so loved mankind that he gave his only begotten son. And now Paul says, how shall we escape if we neglect, if we fail to take hold of the opportunity of our salvation, and that salvation is so great. How shall we escape if we neglect it? Our salvation rescues us from an eternity spent in hell. We should grab hold to it. We should let it guide us in our life. The gospel of Jesus Christ ought to guide our life. And that's what Paul's trying to help the, these folks understand is that, is that we need to be careful that we don't squander the opportunity. And sometimes we can squander that opportunity but notice what he says because then he gives proofs of the gospel that was given because he's talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ squandering our salvation neglecting our salvation not taking opportunity of our salvation and by the way I have proof of salvation is basically what Paul says and look at the proofs he gives three different things number one at the end of verse uh, 3 he says uh, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord. spoken by Our salvation was spoken about by the Lord, was it not? What did Jesus say? I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father. How? But by me. But by me. See, Jesus Christ spoke of the gospel, of the death, burial, and resurrection of himself. And he said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody gets to God but by me you know what that does right away in that verse folks that wipes out the teaching of every religion that teaches a faith-based I mean a works based uh, salvation every religion that teaches salvation by works is wiped out in that one verse alone I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the Father but by me so it was proclaimed by Jesus Christ himself proof number one proof number two notice what he says next and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him well who is he talking about who heard jesus the apostles three and a half years they walked with jesus on this earth they spent time with him they got to know him they got to know about him and 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 and, and during this time what how did they respond to it what What was the end result of the time spent with Jesus? Well, let's look at a couple comments, just of a couple of them, and we'll see what the result is. Acts chapter 1 and verse 3. Acts 1 and verse 3 says this. Acts, written by Luke, Acts 1, 3, To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, And speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What does Luke say? He says there is infallible proof of who Jesus is and that he was resurrected from the grave. Infallible proof. Well, what about Peter? Let's go over to Peter, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. He says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power of and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty <laughs> what does Peter say he says, listen we didn't follow some made-up story he said we followed Jesus Christ himself and we witnessed his glory and his power that's what Peter had to say well what about John let's slip over to 1st John chapter 1 these were all men that walked with Jesus Christ on this earth 1st John Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Notice what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes eyewitness, account, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. John says, Listen, we saw him, we walked with him, we touched him. That's what John's saying notice what he says for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifested us Jesus Christ came to this earth walked on this earth and the Apostles knew him they touched him they spent time with him they were eyewitnesses of him they were eyewitnesses of his resurrection and this is what the writers of Scripture uh, that, that we see in these men that spend time with Jesus that was proof that was proof given that now Paul cites in the book of Hebrews to the fact that Jesus Christ and salvation that comes only through him is of utmost importance. So we have the spoken word of Jesus Christ. We have the word confirmed by the apostles. Number three, the third proof. Notice what it says. Um, it, the, the, the next thing, God. Verse four, God also bearing them witness. So now we have God Himself bearing witness of Jesus Christ in three areas, with signs and wonders, and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will so we have all these examples all these all these witnesses all this proof to the testimony of Jesus Christ and Paul's telling us here listen don't neglect the opportunity of your faith don't neglect it and then he goes back into Christ's sovereignty Now he's going to talk about Christ's sovereignty as man. Let's go to verse 5. It says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. Okay, so now we're going to shift gears and we're going to talk about Christ's sovereignty as a man because we know Jesus Christ came to this earth. He walked on this earth. He was 100% God, 100% man. And so Paul is now going to begin to make the case for Jesus' sovereignty as a man because there has to be a case for the fact that he's sovereign over everything. And so Paul is going to meticulously lay out this case. And so we go back all the way to the book of Genesis, and just to save time, I'm not going to turn there this morning, but back in the book of Genesis, man is given dominion over this world. (coughs) Listen, folks, it is man that has dominion over the resources of this world. Now, we ought to use those resources responsibly. As Christians, we ought to be the most responsible citizens that this nation has ever seen. We should be. But folks, we have dominion over the animals. That means my life is more important than the sea turtles. Now listen, I'm all for helping animals and treating animals respectfully and things like that. But our life, we have a soul. We have more value than other things because God gave us a soul and he gave us dominion over that and this is important because we're going to read here that man has this dominion God made us a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of thy hands thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet man has everything weight though in subjection under his feet for in that he put all in subjection under him he left nothing that is not put under him so there's nothing in creation that should not be under the foot of man but (laughs) there's a big word in that in that verse but now we see not yet all things put under him what does that mean well this is what it means folks back in the garden before sin entered into the picture man had dominion over everything everything was under man's feet that's how it's supposed to be sin entered into the picture and now even though everything is supposed to be under man's feet it's not all under man's feet because there are things that we haven't conquered we can't conquer every disease we can't conquer death. We can't stop wars. See, these things are a result of man's sin. And as a result of man's sin, even though all things are supposed to be under man's feet, they are not because of man's sin. But then I love the first four verses of verse nine, the first four words of verse nine. Paul says, but we see Jesus. (laughs) Those are some sweet words, folks. But we see Jesus. All this is supposed to be under man's feet. It should all be there. But sin entered into the picture, so it's not all there like it should be. But we see Jesus. (laughs) And with Jesus, everything Changes. Isn't it interesting that at the mention of his name, everything that's going one way is changed. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. we see Jesus. Jesus Christ should be the focal point of our life. He should be the center focus of our life. Everything in the Christian walk focuses on Jesus. That's how it should be, folks. And you know, that's how it was for a long time in our country. Life focused around Jesus. When our country began to be settled, what were the first things that were built off of? Churches. So life could be focused around Jesus. But see, as humanitarianism, humanism, I mean, sat in, we began to see a shift. Life was no longer focused on Jesus. Life began to be focused on man. And the problem with that philosophy is that that's not where our focus is supposed to be. The scripture tells us Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Not looking unto the power of man. Not looking unto the strongest man around you. Not looking onto the pastor. Not looking unto the prophet. Not looking onto this person. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Paul says, but we see Jesus. What was lost in Adam and his sin is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, because he suffered death as ma- as a man does, has been crowned with glory and honor and given this full dominion. Turn over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Notice what it says in Philippians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. It says in being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also, what? Hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. See, Paul says, listen, everything's supposed to be under dominion under man's feet. But man, because of his sin, doesn't carry that dominion right now. But Jesus Christ does. He does. Why? Because he conquered death because he conquered death by god's grace the grace and favor that god shows to man for when it when that grace is given it is given notice what it says here to every man notice that by the that he by the grace of god should taste death for every man every man what does that mean it is available for all it is available for all. Listen, folks, I really, I really grow tired of the philosophy that says God loves some people and he hates some people, and, and salvation is only for that elect group. I get tired of that philosophy, and it's very prevalent today in society. Salvation is not for a select group. That is reading into the scripture. Salvation is for all. Have you ever noticed? that you'll never meet a person who takes that other philosophy that doesn't think they're part of the elect. Salvation is only for the elect. Oh, and by the way, I made it into the elect. There's never going to be a person who says salvation is for the elect, and I'm not sure if I made it or not, but I hope so. It doesn't happen that way. They always think they're part of the elect. They they, They were good enough to make it into the elect. That's what they think. But I really tire the philosophy because to take that philosophy, folks, you have to take Scripture like this and just completely eliminate it or twist it into something else because Paul says here that Christ suffered and was crowned with glory and tasted death for every man. And I don't know about you folks, but every man to me means every man. You know, the Scripture is supposed to be taken at face value. And so it means every man. Christ tasted death. For every man. And I want us to notice as we close today. Verse 10. For it became him. It was fitting for him. For whom are all things. And by whom are all things. In bringing many sons unto glory. To make the captain of their salvation. Perfect. Through sufferings. Paul says. It was fitting. For Jesus because he made it all anyway <laughs> he made it all anyway. he is the creator and so Paul says it's fitting that these things fall under his feet that everything is under his feet why because he created it all but then I love the end of this verse I just I just love it when he says to make the captain of their of their salvation <laughs> what a great thought You ever think about the fact Jesus Christ is the captain of my salvation? What what does it mean to be a captain? It means he makes the arrangements. I don't make the arrangements. It means he gives the commands. I don't give the commands. It means he leads by example. It means he encourages his men and he rewards his troops. That's what being a captain is. And Jesus Christ, Paul tells us, is the captain of our salvation. You know what that means, folks? I didn't have anything to do with it. My salvation didn't come from me. My righteousness, as the Bible tells me, is as filthy rags. But Jesus Christ is the captain of my salvation. I love it. I love it. What a great thought as we end today. Paul is starting as he does so, so well as we study the book of Romans. Paul, Paul is meticulously laying out the fact that Christ is superior. He's superior to the angels. Now he's superior to man. As we move further into the book, we're going to find he's superior to other things. Why? Because Paul is laying out the superiority of Jesus Christ. And in that, he is teaching us invaluable doctrine by which we should live our lives. And that's what Hebrews is all about. Let's have every head bow and every eye close as we come to the end of the message today. Listen, these are just simple truths, factual truths of the Scripture. There's there's no fluff here, folks. It's just the Scripture and what it says. But Jesus Christ, number one, died for all mankind. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your as your personal Savior he died for you and he died for me and in a couple minutes when the piano begins to play if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior but you would like to I would ask you just come forward I'll have somebody take a Bible and they'll show you how you can know for sure today that you're saved. but folks Hebrews was written to Christians which should mean that Jesus Christ is the captain of your salvation if you're a Christian today are you neglecting the opportunities of the Christian walk those of us that are Christians today that's the question we have to answer am I neglecting the opportunities that I have spiritually because I've let my life just kinda drift away Maybe you didn't even realize it. And then all of a sudden today during the sermon you looked up and you said, Oh my, look how I've drifted. Look where I once was and where I am now. Maybe that's you today. Maybe when the, when the piano begins to play, maybe you just need to get down on the altar and spend some time with God and say, God, forgive me for drifting so far. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to you today. Let's stand with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'll ask Elizabeth to play just for a moment this morning as we wait.